Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Matthew chapter 5. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a trivia question. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, what is Carleton, Minnesota famous for? Anybody want to guess? Anybody? It's famous for the world's largest bacon cheeseburger. I'm going to show it to you on the screen up here. Over one ton. All right, you want the statistics on this? More than you want the statistics on this. Okay, I know Steve was going to like this because Steve is a big hamburger fan. 60 pounds of bacon, 50 pounds of lettuce, 50 pounds of sliced onions, 40 pounds of pickles, 40 pounds of American cheese, coming to a grand total of more than a ton. Now, here's what they had to do. They had to build a special outdoor oven to cook it, and they had to use a crane to turn it over. Only in America... Can there be such excess and gluttony and waste when it comes to a ton? You can take that off there. It's kind of grossing me out. Thank you. No, I'm just joking. We as a nation really don't understand what it means to be hungry. For the most part, we have it very easy. Most of you probably came in this morning and you had breakfast. And most of you are probably going to leave here and go to Village Inn or Bummers or... or um, Wherever you go, wonderful house, you're going to eat a lunch afterwards. Most of us here have come in and we, and, we, and we haven't understood hunger. Now, some of you may have even eaten at the Cheesecake Factory. Anybody eaten at the Cheesecake Factory in Denver, known for their enormous portion sizing? We live in an age where we have invented the doggy bag. In case you don't finish your meal at the restaurant, you can take it home. Do we truly understand hunger in America. I did some research this past week on statistics related to world hunger from the United Nations Hunger Organization. And I, they have a list of the top five nations with the most hunger problems. Number one on their list is the Republic of Congo. 70 million people in the Republic of Congo. Does anybody want to guess what their, what their um, poverty and their, and their hunger rate is? Over 78 percent of the population is hungry in a nation of 70 million the next on the list you've got eritrea a little nation annexed by ethiopia burundi the southern part of africa haiti and comoros which is an island off the coast of africa in the indian ocean all these other nations over 50 percent of their population suffers from hunger have you ever been hungry really hungry to the point of starvation we really don't understand hunger and thirst here in northeastern colorado but everywhere we look people are hungering and they're thirsting for power for prestige for popularity for prominence for sex for money for stuff for electronics, for toys, for games, for recreation, many other things. Our world is hungering for stuff. 
And yet, as we look at the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes, it's upside down, it's backwards. We have to we have to recalibrate to what Jesus is saying. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural. So let's go and read Matthew chapter five. And we're gonna start back at the beginning and go through verse six because we're up to this beatitude this morning. But let's look at verse one to set the context. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our world hungers and thirsts for everything but righteousness. They hunger for happiness. They hunger for fulfillment, for purpose, for pleasure, for sex, for money, for for whatever. Our our culture hungers and thirsts for everything but what Jesus tells us to hunger and thirst for here, righteousness. So what in the world is Jesus talking about when he talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? What's the beauty of this beatitude? Let's just review for a moment. What's the first beatitude? Being poor in spirit. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. I'm nothing without Christ. What's the second beatitude? Blessed are those who mourn, mourn over their sin, mourn over their brokenness, mourn over their guilt. Number three, we looked at this last week. Blessed are those who are meek, those who act like they are nothing. In the end, will possess everything. And up to this point, all the beatitudes have dealt with emptiness, brokenness, poverty, mourning. And finally, we get to a beatitude that deals with Fullness, being satisfied, being full. So here's the big issue for this morning. Here's what this beatitude means, and we're going to unpack it. Painful longing results in powerful satisfaction. Painful longing results in powerful satisfaction. So I want to ask three questions this morning of this text. Here's the first question. What is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about? What does he mean when he says righteousness? Number two, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for this righteousness? And number three, what does it mean that we will be filled or we will be satisfied? What what is Jesus really saying here when it comes to this beatitude? So let's explore the first question. What exactly is the righteousness to which Jesus is speaking here? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now the Bible speaks of two types of righteousness. The first type of righteousness that Jesus speaks of is what we call imputed or outside righteousness. It's the righteousness that comes to us in our salvation when we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's a legal declaration that God gives to us the moment we trust Christ for salvation. There are a couple of passages of scripture that clearly define this type of righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've been declared not guilty. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's what, what it means. The moment that you trust for Christ for salvation, this transaction occurs. All of your sin is credited to Jesus' account. And his 33 years of perfect righteousness, everything perfectly, is credited to your account. So God the Father can look down upon your life and he can make a declaration legally saying, I see you with the righteousness of Christ. Christ, and therefore you are not guilty. You're accepted. It's a one-time declaration that God makes. He looks down and forever he says, you are in a position of being accepted in my sight. And some people have summed up this truth of justification with the slogan. They say, it's just as if I'd never sinned. God looks at me just as if I had never sinned. And that's half true. God looks at us just as if we'd never sinned. But secondly, God looks at us just as if we'd lived 33 years of perfect righteousness. So God looks at us and says, based upon Christ, based upon what Christ has done, I can make a declaration on your life. I can look down on your life and say, Christ's righteousness is given to you. Your sin's given to Christ. You are not guilty. It's an outside righteousness that comes to us the moment that we are saved. It's a legal type of righteousness. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the first type of righteousness, this outside righteousness that comes to us in salvation. But there's a second type of righteousness that the Bible speaks of. It's that inward, daily righteousness that's not justification righteousness, but sanctification righteousness. In other words, it's that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the righteousness that is involved in right living, right behavior, right action, holiness, obedience. It's that pilgrimage, that process that we take on the journey as a Christian to become more and more holy, more and more righteous, more and more like Jesus. So which one is Jesus talking about in this passage of scripture. I think we can make a case that he's talking about both. But in particular, I think it's the second one that he's talking about. It's a hunger and a thirst in this desire to be righteous, to be holy, to desire sin to be out of your life. Because remember, he's talking to Christians here, Christians who are already been justified. We've been just, if you're a Christian, you've already been declared not guilty. And so as you live out your Christianity, it's this hunger and this desire to to live in the right way, to obey Christ, to, to live a holy life. It's a deep, passionate longing to be like Jesus. Now, let me just ask you a question. Is this popular? To live right in our culture, to live holy lives. D.A. Carson said this. He says, People chase from preacher to preacher and conference to conference seeking some vague blessing from on high. They hunger and thirst for a spiritual experience, but how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? And I had to ask myself a question this week. How often do we hunger and thirst for an experience? Whether it's, oh man, I heard a cool song on the radio that gave me a warm fuzzy. 
Or I saw a televangelist on TV and he said something that gave me a warm fuzzy. Or, or I heard Pastor Sean something that, say something that gave me a warm fuzzy. And, and we, we walk around with this warm fuzzy, but we never repent. And we never walk in righteousness. We'd rather have a spiritual experience that doesn't affect our behavior because we want the warm fuzzy of the spiritual experience, but we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think far too many Christians seek for happiness or blessedness, or an experience, but they don't seek for righteousness. There's a huge difference between seeking for happiness and seeking for righteousness. There's a huge difference in those two words. Because what we often want to do is we want God to affirm us in our sin, and we go around basing our life on our feelings, and we say, well, you know, I just feel like this is what God wants me to do. Or I just feel like this is where God's leading me. And you know exactly what the scripture says, but you go in direct opposition to the scripture because you want to go off your feelings as opposed to righteousness. How many Christians I've met base their decisions on their feelings, not upon God's word? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, not happiness? Jesus never said this was going to be easy. Sometimes seeking after righteousness is not happy, it's not fulfilling. It's not purposeful. It may be painful. It may be excruciating. It may be hard because God is calling you to repentance and he wants righteousness, not necessarily happiness. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll never be happy or you'll never experience purpose, but what Jesus is saying here is it's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And it can be uncomfortable. It can be inconvenient. It can be excruciating. Go to Matthew chapter 6 for just a moment later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says. You're very familiar with Matthew 6, 33. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. He reiterates it again. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek for righteousness. Again, not happiness. Not a spiritual experience. Not a warm fuzzy. (laughs) But the truth of Scripture and what God is calling us to do in right living. When Jesus was on earth, what was his passion? What was Jesus' ultimate passion when he lived on earth? He says in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food, interesting metaphor, my food, my sustenance, my purpose, how I get my nourishment, what my whole life is about is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his, his work. So how did Jesus satisfy his spiritual hunger he did what god called him to do he lived an obedient righteous lifestyle that was jesus's food so this first right the first thing we see here when jesus says hunger and thirst for righteousness it is none other than a desire a painful longing to be more like jesus to be holy to be righteous to do the right thing according to the truth of the scriptures to walk in holiness to have a desire to do that that's what he's talking about But the second question we've got to ask is, okay, if this is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about, what does he mean when he says hunger and thirst for it? Hunger and thirst for it. In the original language, hunger and thirst are in the present tense, which mean that we are to continually, constantly, ongoingly, as a lifestyle, be consistently seeking, hungering, thirsting for this type of righteousness. It's a never-ending pursuit that we have in the Christian life. Augustine said these famous words, 
God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Do you realize God has created us hungry? God created us hungry for worship. But in the fall, in sin, we've traded in a worship for God for other things. And so our hearts are always going to be restless. We're always going to be hungry. We're always going to be wanting to fill our life with something. And ultimately, as a believer, our life is to be filled with the pursuit of Christ and his righteousness. As opposed to making mud pies in the slum. In his famous sermon called The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said these words, We are half-hearted creatures, <laughs> half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you find yourself making mud pies in the slum? Do you realize that God addressed this issue of making mud pies in the slum? In Jeremiah chapter 2, God gives an indictment on the nation of Israel. And he says, you've done something wicked. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 11, God says this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. What's the first evil? They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Okay, they're not coming to me. God is the fountain of living waters. He's the source of, of true satisfaction. And what have they done? Number two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A broken cistern was like a well that you dug, and it's basically the imagery here is you're sitting in a sewage pot, playing around in the mud, slapping in the mud, eating up the, the sewage, drinking up the sewage, thinking that that's going to give you satisfaction when God says, I'm the true source of living water. It's a lie to live in the sewage, but how many times do we do it? And God says, be appalled at that. I am the source of living water, but you've created your own little world over here that's a cesspool of unrighteousness, and you're swimming around in it. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness or the cheap substitutes of this world? We are far easily amused by cheap substitutes. C.S. Lewis also said this, and I've had to ponder this quote for a while this week. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I'll let you think about that for a while. So let's think about hunger and thirst for a moment. Do we really understand hunger and thirst? I mean, we live in the world of the one-ton hamburger and the cheesecake factory. That's where we live. But to be hungry and thirsty, according to what Jesus is saying, is something painful. It's a desperation. It's a longing. It's a hurting type of hunger and pain. Now think about it for a moment. In America, when we say we're, we're hungry or thirsty, we, we usually exaggerate, right? I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in three, in, three, in three hours. Or I'm so thirsty because my Culligan guy hasn't come or I haven't gotten my Dasani or I don't have my Aquafina. I'm so thirsty. In India, when we went and traveled to India, uh, we went into these villages where we had put in wells. And it was amazing just what clean water can do in the health of people because you'll see these women with these huge pots on their head, probably 50-pound pots, and they'll walk down to water 
probably two or three or four times a day, maybe a half mile, maybe a full mile, just to get water so their family can drink and so their family can clean. We don't understand that because we have water accessible to us all the time. And so this hunger and this thirsting that Jesus is talking about, it's not some passing feeling. It's not some, well, you know, I I got my fill of my Dasani and I'm good to go. No, it's a deep, longing, hungering, hurting, panting, conscious need of this righteousness. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 42, 1 through 2? You've heard this before. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you hear the angst and the hurt in the psalmist? He's saying, I pant. What does it mean to pant? I'm not going to imitate it up here because you think I'm weird, but you know what panting is. Do you pant after God? Do you thirst after God? Do you hunger to the point of pain after God? That's what Jesus is talking about here. You see, in the ancient Near East, there wasn't a Culligan man, Russell. There wasn't a Dasani machine at Walmart where you could go get your Aquafina or Dasani. Water was a scarce commodity. And so in, in ancient times, what would happen in this desert climate, they'd have these water salesmen that would come to town. And a water salesman would come to town, he'd set up shop in the middle of the market, and everybody around would come to get water from the water salesman, and he could charge whatever he wanted because he had the water. And you would pay a lot to come and get water, and then the water salesman would, would, would basically make a killing, and he'd go on to the next town. That's the way the culture was in the ancient Near East, when water was a scarce commodity, when you had wells, and you didn't have, you didn't have water as, as a hot commodity. But listen to God in Isaiah be the ultimate Culligan man. Did you realize God was a Culligan man? God is a water salesman, but God doesn't charge for his water. Listen to Isaiah 55.1. Listen to the invitation of God. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Well, how can you buy if you don't have money? It's the beauty of the gospel. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do you hear what God's saying? God's saying, I'm setting up water for you in the desert. Come and get it. You don't have to have money. It's free. It's grace. It's a gift. The only thing you need to bring is your hunger and thirst, and I will satisfy it. Come to the waters. Be thirsty. Now, wouldn't it be foolish if Don and I invited you over to dinner, and you came to our house, and we cooked you a nice dinner, and, we, and Don made you a really nice dessert, and we had great fellowship, and, and, and after the meal was served and the, the food was put away, you, you, you turned to me and said, well, here's, here's 50 bucks for dinner. Would that be weird? I would be offended because I didn't invite you over to pay you, for you to pay me for dinner. We invited you over to dinner simply to have fellowship with you. The only thing we asked you to bring was what? Your appetite. Just come with your appetite. You don't have to pay us for dinner. We invited you into our home. Come with an appetite. And that's the same thing God is saying here. Don't come and try to earn it. Don't come and try to feel like you can finagle it or manipulate it or produce it. All you need to do is come with hunger, come with thirst, come with an appetite. Be hungry and thirsty for this righteousness. Listen to Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So 
First of all, this righteousness that Jesus is talking about is a desire to be holy, desire to be like Christ, a desire to walk righteously, to do the right thing. But secondly, it's a painful hungering, it's a thirsting, it's a constant search, it's a continual hunger and thirst and longing and desire and passionate pursuit to want this righteousness. And we come to Christ and he gives it. And so why is it so painful? Why is it a painful longing? Why is this hunger and thirst for righteousness so painful? It is so painful because God requires you to give up some things to come to him. That's why it's painful. When you repent of sin, it is painful. Because when you repent, you're saying, I'm giving up something for something greater. But what often happens? We think the thing that we're giving up is greater than the thing that we're going towards. It's a lie. Christ is greater than anything you'd ever give up. But what happens is we believe the lie that these things over here in this little cesspool of mud pies, we're enjoying our life. And don't take this away from me, God, because I need it. And God says, let me pry your fingers away from that. Let me pull you out of the muck and mire. Come to me and your true thirst will be satisfied. But often we think we're going to get our thirst satisfied by sipping sewage through a straw. How many of you guys think that's a gross image? But how often do we do it? Sip sewage through a straw and think we're getting satisfied. Now let's explore the third issue here this morning. What does it mean to be satisfied? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, this painful longing, this deep desire for righteousness, this desire to be right, this desire to live righteously, this desire for holiness. What's the promise? He says, secondly, in that passage, they shall be what? Satisfied or filled. The word satisfied in the original language meant the fattening of animals. Those of you in agriculture know what that means. It also means to be stuffed. How many of you were stuffed after Thanksgiving and you didn't want to look at turkey anymore? Like three or four days, like, I don't want any more turkey. Just get it out of here. To be stuffed. To be full. But notice the wording there. Does the text say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall produce this satisfaction in and of themselves. Is that what the text says? No, it says they shall be satisfied. In other words, it's something that happens to us. God is the one that satisfies us. God is the one that produces it. God is the one that gives it to us. We can't produce this righteousness in and of ourselves. We can't even produce this hunger and thirst in and of ourselves. God has to give it to us. Think about what happens when you eat. It's very, very, let's, let's just think logically, okay? Let's, let's think real simply here. What happens when you eat? You take something from outside of you and put it inside you. Is that right? Anybody ever ate, ate, eaten something that came from inside you that you're supposed to? Okay. Food, you take from outside and you bring it in. You don't bring it from inside and take it outside. That's a bad thing. Just like, just like, yeah, just like food, this righteousness doesn't come from inside. It comes from outside. It has to be given to us. Christ has to fill us. Christ has to be the one to give it. We don't produce it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't manipulate it. We don't manufacture it. Only Christ is the one that can do it. And here's the paradox, okay? Here's the paradox of this, because these are in the present tense, 
If you continually seek and hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. But is it a one-time filling? No. The paradox is that you're always, constantly, your entire life, you're seeking and you're thirsting and you're hungry, and then you get filled, and then you seek and you hunger and you thirst and you get filled. You seek and you hunger and you thirst and you get filled. And that goes on your entire life until you step foot into heaven. You're always, constantly seeking and thirsting and hungering for righteousness, and Christ fills you, and then you have to seek and hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then he fills you. If you're hungry, if you're really, really hungry, what's the only thing you want? Food, right? What happens if you are hungry and thirsty and I come to you and say, hey, I made a cool playlist on my iPod. Why don't you listen to this? You're like, that's cool, Sean, but I'm hungry. Oh, hey, guess what? Here's a cool magazine for you to read. Or let me bring you some flowers. Or let me tell you some funny jokes. And you're thinking, Sean, you're an idiot. I don't, those things are great. I, I'm glad you made a playlist. I'm glad you gave me flowers. I'm glad you're giving me a magazine. I'm glad you're going to sit and tell me jokes. But what I really need, Sean, is what? Food. Because I am hungry. You need food. And it's the same thing. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the only thing you need is Christ. Now listen to this quote from Thomas Watson. I wish I would have come up with this quote, but he's a lot more brilliant, and he lived about 400 years ago. And so that's what happens. Here's what he says. So a man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness says, Give me Christ or I die. Lord, what will you give me seeing I go Christless? What though I have abilities, wealth, honor, and esteem in the world? All is nothing without Christ. Give me Jesus and it will satisfy me. Let me have Christ to clothe me, Christ to feed me, Christ to intercede for me. While the soul is Christless, it is restless. Nothing but the water springs of Christ's blood can quench this thirst. Nothing but Christ's blood can quench this type of thirst. Painful longing results in powerful satisfaction. When you painfully long for Christ and his righteousness, you get powerfully satisfied by Christ himself. And listen to these wonderful promises from the scriptures about God's passion to fill us with goodness in the gospel. Listen to Psalm 81.10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open up your mouth wide and I will fill it. God's saying, okay, open your mouth and I'm going to fill it. What do we need to do? Does God require us to fill ourselves? What does God say? Simply open your mouth. God will fill it. We come with the hunger. We come with the thirst. We come with the longing. Listen to Psalm 107 verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The hungry soul God fills with good things. God fills you. God meets your needs. God provides for you. He satisfies you with himself, the longing and the hungry soul. And then in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. God will fill you with joy and peace and especially during this Christmas season it's important that we're filled with joy and peace that only Christ can give us. Now here's the tension that we've been dealing with every week in these Beatitudes. It's the tension of the already not yet. Do we have satisfaction now? Yes. We've got peace. We've got joy. We've got salvation. We've got um, all these blessings that God has given to us. We have been satisfied. If you are a Christian, you've been satisfied in Christ, but you know deep in your heart there's a coming day that the Scripture says where you will ultimately be satisfied. There's the not yet. 
Because this is in the future tense. They shall be satisfied. Listen to what Revelation says. Revelation 7, 16 through 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's coming a day where you're no longer going to thirst. You're no longer going to hunger for righteousness because you're going to be in full righteousness in Christ in heaven. But until that day, there's that painful longing. There's that painful longing. Lord, I want to be more holy. Lord, I want to be more righteous. Lord, I want to walk in holiness. Lord, I know there's sin in me and it bothers me. I hunger and I thirst for it. And Christ says, let me fill you. Let me fill you. I will fill you. I will satisfy you. And then you start living the next day and you realize, oh my goodness, I've got more sin in my life. I hunger and I thirst and and God fills you. And that goes on your entire life, that longing, that pain. But that one day when we step foot into heaven, we will no longer thirst or hunger because the shepherd will take care of us and we'll be in his presence and we will be righteous. What a day that will be. Now at this point, you may be asking yourself some questions. You're thinking about, okay, This whole business of hungering and thirsting and and longing and panting and fainting. And these words sound really extreme, Sean. You really expect me to pant like a deer for God? Well, yeah, the Bible tells you to do it. So what are some questions that you may be asking? First of all, you may be asking yourself, well, how do I know I'm truly hungry and thirsty? How do I know I have this hunger? How can, I, how can I truly know that I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let me give you three tests. There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch more, but let me just give you three tests to see if you're hungry and thirsty. Here's the first test. Do you have an appetite for God's word? Do you have an appetite for God's word? Do you love God's word? Do you want to saturate yourself in God's word? Do you want to read God's word? Do you want to marinate in God's word? Do you want to obey God's word? Do you love God's word? Do you have an appetite for God's word? Listen to what Psalm 119, 1-3 says. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Do you have this desire to be blameless, to walk in his ways, to be obedient, to seek him, to walk in righteousness? Do you have the desire to do it? Secondly, here's another test. Do you find yourself dwelling or thinking or putting your mind on godly things? Where does your mind focus when it wanders? What whets the appetite of your mind? Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Are you thinking? Are you pondering? Are you meditating? Are you hungering and thirsting? Is your mind go towards the things that are godly? Third test Do you desire and love to be with God's people? Do you like to be in church? Do you like to be around God's people? Do you like to to, to have relationships with with other believers? Um, Listen to what John says in 1 John. 1 John 3, 23 through 24. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We are to love one another. How do you know that you have this hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you love other people? Do you love being with other people that are Christians? Here's another question that you may be asking. Okay, Sean, this sounds real extreme. 
Constant hungering, constant thirsting, constant longing. How do I keep, my, how do I keep this hunger going? How do I keep this hunger and, and thirsting for righteousness going? How do I keep my appetite? How do I stay hungry and thirsty? Well, let's take the food metaphor here and, and let's just kind of take it to an area of life that we, that we understand. Here's the first way you can keep your, your hunger and thirst for righteousness going. Just like in regular food, what do you do? Avoid sweets. Okay? And what I mean by that is avoid those places or those situations where you're going to be tempted. Where you're going to be tempted to glutton yourself on the world. The more you glutton yourself on the world, the less you're going to have a taste for the gospel. The more you sip out a sewer straw, you're going to start developing a taste for that. The more you develop a taste for sweets, the less you're going to have a development of taste for the good stuff. So if we spend all of our time tasting the sweets of the world and developing an appetite for the world, the less we're going to have an appetite for Christ and his righteousness. So avoid sweets. In other words, don't glutton yourself on the world. Don't glutton yourself on the world. Secondly, exercise to increase your metabolism. Some of you know what it means to to get engaged in really heavy-duty cardio or running, or training. What happens when you begin to increase your, when you you begin to increase working out, or or, or doing aerobics, or doing any type of cardio? What ends up happening? Does your metabolism speed up? Your metabolism speeds up, and you begin eating more, and you begin eating better. You don't don't really crave those, those sweets. You end up wanting to eat and take care of your body, and so the Bible does tell us to go to the gym. Did you realize that? So it's not a sin to go to the gym, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 7-8, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Now that word train is where we get our word gymnastics. It's gymnazo. Go to the gym. Work out. For what? Godliness. Train yourselves. Go to the gym. Work out. Increase your metabolism for godliness. And he says bodily training is of some value. Okay, going to the gym, it's good value. You'll get, you'll get fit, you'll get healthy. But godliness is of a value every, in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Okay, here's another question I think a lot of you may be struggling with. And maybe this is where, where it hits home with you this morning. Sean, you don't understand. I am living in sin right now. And I've failed and I don't feel righteous and I'm not acting righteous right now, and I've backslidden, and this hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I I just don't, I'm wondering if God's given up on me. Have I lost it? Have I lost my salvation? Have I slidden so far back? Have I gotten so far off track that I can't even get this hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'm so steeped in sin, I feel helpless. I'm doubting my, don't, don't raise your hand, please don't do this. Please don't raise your hand. But how many of you sometimes doubt your salvation because you struggle with sin? Man, I w- why am I struggling with this? If I, was a, if I was a good Christian, I wouldn't struggle with this. If I was just a good Christian, I wouldn't have this problem. May I remind you, there's only one who is good, Jesus, and all of us struggle. And I'm not excusing the struggle, but I'm saying that here's, here's what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture. Notice the wording. Jesus does not say, read it, blessed are they that are full of righteousness. Does he bless those that are full of righteousness? 
What does he say? Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for it. So if you've got the hunger, and you've got the thirst, and you've got the want to, and you've got the desire, as little as it may be, and you may need some work, and you may need some sanctification, and you may need some discipline, and you may need some God to work on you, but if you've got that desire for righteousness, the promise is God's going to fill you. God is going to fill you. Here's the logical progression of the Beatitudes. They, they, they really go in order here. There's a logical progression, especially when we get to next week. First of all, do you come to the point where you are spiritually bankrupt and you realize, I have nothing to contribute to God? I am hopeless. I am helpless. I am nothing without Christ. I'm bankrupt. Number two, do you mourn over your sin? Do you see that sin offends God? Do you desire to repent? Do you see that, that, that you've offended a holy God and you mourn and you grieve over that? Number three, are you meek realizing that I'm nothing without Christ? I act like I'm nothing. I don't push my rights. I don't try to get ahead. I'm humble. I accept what God has for me. And then when those, when those three things come together, it pushes you towards, okay, I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all my ducks in a row. I just have to have the hunger, the repentance, the desire, the mourning, the awareness, the brokenness. And what's the promise there? The promise is God will fill you. What does God require in this text? Does God require you to be able to fill yourself? No, all he requires is hunger and thirst. Not your ability to fill yourself. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, he will fill you. It's providential that Mickey gave this verse earlier in the elder prayer time. But Psalm 73, 25 through 26 Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It really, again, it comes all back to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus experience hunger? You bet, 40 days in the wilderness, hungry. Did Jesus experience thirst? You bet. When he was on the cross, what did he say? One of the words out of Jesus' mouth is, I am thirsty. So Jesus experienced hunger, and Jesus experienced thirst, and Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that you and I could be filled with satisfaction in him alone. So that we could come and hunger and thirst for righteousness, and he could fill us, because here's what, here, here's what, he, here's what he promises. Here's what he promises. Jesus lived 33 years of perfect righteousness in obedience to his Father, And the moment that you trust Christ for salvation, his perfect record is credited to you, and so God looks at you as righteous. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you are righteous positionally. That does not change. Positionally, forever in God's eyes, you are righteous. But also because God gave us the Holy Spirit in our salvation, he can make us more and more on a daily basis that, that, that sanctification type righteousness, that progressive type righteousness, where we walk more and more in holiness. Do you long to be like Christ? Are you really hungry for Christ? Do you desire this righteousness? Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, are being transformed right at this very moment. Whether you feel like it or not, Christian, you're being transformed into the same image 
of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, meaning some of us are growing at different rates, but we're all growing for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Don't ever underestimate the power of the transforming work of the grace of God in your life right now. You may not feel like you're righteous. You may not feel like you're hungry. You may not feel like you're thirsting. But God promises to transform you. And so here's my final question. Where's your appetite today? Where's your appetite? What are you feasting upon today? What's the deepest longing in your heart this morning? Do you have a restlessness? Do you have a hunger? Do you have a thirst for Christ and his righteousness? Or are you sitting in a mud pie among the sewers, sipping through a straw and saying, that's going to satisfy me? Painful longing results in powerful satisfaction. Where is your appetite this morning? Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. Where is your appetite today? What have you been feasting on? Are you hungry? And are you thirsty this morning? And some of you, like me right now, I'm I'm actually, actually kind of hungry personally. I'm feeling a hunger pain. Oh, wow, hunger pain. We don't understand hunger pains. We get a little rumble in our stomach because we haven't had something to eat for a few hours. It's not what it's talking about here. Do you have that painful, deep, passionate longing in your heart, in your soul, in the depth of your being to be more like Jesus, to walk in righteousness? And the promise from Scripture is you'll be satisfied. Christ will satisfy that deepest longing with himself. Where's your appetite this morning? I want you to spend a few moments in prayer asking the Lord to search your heart, asking the Lord to reveal sin, asking the Lord to bring conviction, asking the Holy Spirit to do that work of transformation as you go before him in prayer this morning. So spend some time this morning hungering and thirsting for righteousness, knowing that you will be satisfied if you seek Christ alone. Spend some time in prayer this morning. Cast off that I might draw near. You were thirsty that I might come drink. Cried out in anguish that I might sing. How deep is your love? How high and how wide is your mercy? How deep is your grace? Our hearts overflow with praise to you. You knew darkness that I might know light. Wept great tears that mine might be dried. Stripped of glory that I might be clothed crushed by your Father to call me your own. How deep is your love and how wide and high is your mercy. How deep is your grace, our hearts overflow with praise to you. Jesus, we thank you that you were thirsty, that we might come drink. Jesus, we're thankful that you were hungry, that we might come eat. Jesus, we're thankful that you lived a perfect life of righteousness, obeying everything that your Father gave you to do for 33 years, never once sinning. And it's amazing to me, Lord Jesus, that the moment we place our faith in you, all that record, that perfect record is given to us to where we can be declared by God Almighty not guilty, clothed in the righteousness of my Son. 
But Lord, we also know that we long in our hearts to be more holy, to walk in righteousness. And Lord, there may be some in this room this morning that are walking in sin. There may be some this morning that are struggling and, and their hunger and thirst is for the things of this world, not for righteousness. And they're going by things that they feel based upon what your scripture says is truth. And Lord, it may be painful because you may be calling some in this room to repent this morning, to give up, to renounce the things of this world. There may be many in this room that are making mud pies in the slums when they don't realize that they could go to the ocean and be there on the beach. And, and Lord Jesus, the, the ultimate issue is that you are the ultimate satisfaction. Help us not believe the lies of the enemy that we'll find satisfaction in other places. There is no other place to find satisfaction saving you. May we come thirsty. May we come hungry. May we come longing. May we pant for you as the deer pants for the water. May we hunger for you. May we long for you. May we faint for you. Lord, we don't know what it means to be hungry. Forgive us for living in a country that doesn't even know what it means really. But Lord, forgive us more for not knowing what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give us that hunger. Give us that thirst. Give us that desire. Change us from one degree of glory to another. Transform us. Do the work that only you can do in our hearts, Lord. And it, it may be painful, but any work that is serious, any work that's lasting, any work that's going to bring fruit is always painful. It's always uncomfortable. But Lord, you promised to shape us and mold us into your image. And that's what we want. We want to look more like you, Jesus. Whatever it takes for us to look more like you, that's what we want. Whatever it takes for us to look more like you, Jesus, that's what we want. Can we truly pray that this morning? Can we truly pray that? Give us the grace to pray that. It's a scary prayer, Lord. It's a scary prayer just coming out of my mouth. It's a scary prayer. Do whatever you need to do to make us look more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.